Thank you for joining us today. For more information about the church, campus locations, service times, and more, visit ecoegt.com. Also, stay in touch with us on social media by liking us on Facebook and following us on Instagram, at ecoegt. Now let's repair our hearts as we go into the message. You find your way back to your seats. As you're doing so, turn with me to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 15, it is our 33rd sermon in the book of 1 Corinthians, and we're getting to the last couple of chapters. And tonight, we're going to talk about God's special favor. We'll look at the first few verses here at chapter 15. It's a great chapter as it talks about the resurrection, and uh, it's a powerful, powerful passage of Scripture. Begin reading in verse 1, reading out the New Living Translation. Paul says, let me now remind you, dear brothers and sisters, of the good news I preached to you before. You welcomed it then, and you still stand firm in it. It is this good news that saves you if you continue to believe the message I told you. Unless, of course, you believe something that was never true in the first place. I passed on to you what was most important and what had also been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins. Just as the scripture said, he was buried and was raised from the dead on the third day. Just as the scriptures said. He was seen by Peter and then by the 12. And after that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Then he was seen by James and later by all the apostles. Last of all, as though I had been born at the wrong time, I also saw him. For I am the least of all the apostles. In fact, I am not even worthy to be called an apostle after the way I persecuted God's church. But whatever I am now, it is all because God poured out his special favor on me. Whatever I am now, I am because of God's grace, of God's goodness. And not without results, for I have worked harder than any of the other apostles, yet it was not I, but God who was working through me by his grace. So it makes no difference whether I preach or they preach, for we all preach the same message you have already believed. Let us pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you, God, for this powerful study in the book of 1 Corinthians. And Lord, I pray that you open our hearts to receive and God, give us ears that would hear what the Holy Spirit is saying. And God, may we leave here tonight just encouraged and strengthened. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, the truth never loses its power. However, people lose its, their grip on truth. See, the struggles in the Corinthian church made it clear to Paul that they needed to refocus their attention on the gospel. And as he begins to bring this letter to a close, 
He does so with the vigorous proclamation of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It was as if they were wandering and Paul called them back to the center. And like the Corinthians, we cannot afford to stray from Christ. It's important that we come back to the center of the gospel of Christ. I think with everything that we walk through in life, every struggle we, we, we experience, we should always ask the Lord, Lord, how do you want me to respond? Lord, what is it that you want me to learn through this process? And church, it would be a shame for us as a people group to, to walk through what we've been going through the last year and, and eight months, not to come back to the center and get closer to God. I don't want to go back where we came from. I don't want to repeat those things, but I want to be closer to the Lord. And there often are life lessons that we walk through. There are fiery experiences. There are challenges. And I think that even though, even though they're not sent from God or by God, he's allowed us to walk through it. And the purpose has always been that we draw closer to him. And as a people, I think it's important that we focus on our roots, Christianity, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. See, what we believe about this life and the afterlife depends on what Jesus did with death. What we believe about this life and what we believe about the afterlife depends on what Jesus did with death. See, God calls us back to the center. Let's look first of all at what Paul is talking about. He says the good news. Verse 1, let me remind you, brothers and sisters, of the good news I preach to you. Paul, as he frequently did in the letter, refers to them as brothers and sisters. This affectionate term Paul uses to affirm the Corinthians in their, in their basic commitments to Christ's resurrection. He's using that as to remind them of the elements of the gospel, not to challenge their acceptance of it. They believed it, but he's reminding them of their core beliefs. He's reminding them of their belief of the resurrection of Jesus. And how many knows it's, it's good for us to be reminded of our core beliefs, to be reminded of, uh, of what Christianity is all uh, about. Now, why is it called the good news? The gospel or the good news is good because it's the message of God's saving work in Christ. Now, up to this point, Paul had oriented the gospel message around Christ's death. But, but here he preached the gospel by emphasizing the resurrection. He also affirmed his belief that the Corinthian Christians had received this message and had taken their stand on it. See, in Paul's day, being a Christian was more than intellectual assent to a group of doctrines. The social price that followers of Christ paid forced them to stand 
in a hostile world. And it's coming to that now for you and I to stand in a hostile world. And in that, we're being called back to the center. Understanding the gospel of Jesus Christ is based upon the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, Paul brings something very powerful out in verse 1. And it's, in essence, looking at how they responded to the gospel, to the good news. Paul addresses the attitude in which they received the good news. Let me give you an important note. The attitude that we approach the gospel with will make the difference of the impact it has upon us. If we come with a skeptical heart, you won't receive what's being said. But if you come with an open heart, you'll begin to allow the Holy Spirit to challenge areas that need to be challenged. And I think this is so important that when we come to the house of God, when we approach the word of God, when we approach the gospel of Christ, our attitude matters. In your own personal devotions, as you're going through your daily routines, check on the the attitude of how you approach. If it's just done out of routine, out of because I have to, because it's just the right thing to do, then we may not receive as much as if we come with, Lord, what are you trying to say to me? Lord, what are you speaking to me today? Now, Paul reaffirmed to the Corinthians how they received the gospel. And I believe in order for the gospel to have an effect in one's life, you have to first to receive it, accept it, and you got to believe it. Now, notice how the New Living Translation Uh, translates it, it says they welcomed it. The Corinthians, when they heard the gospel about the death, burial, and resurrection, they weren't skeptical. They welcomed the message. And the word in the original means this, to formally receive our authoritative teaching as from an approved source, to receive it as truth. And they made it their own. They received it and welcomed this gospel into their lives. And I think a great question to ask ourselves is, how do I receive the word of God? How do I receive the gospel? What attitude do I hear and do I listen and receive the gospel in? There's a great passage found in 1 Thessalonians as as Paul is is commending the believers. In Thessalonians 2 verse 13, it says, We never stop thanking God that when you received his message from us, you didn't think of our words as mere, mere human ideas. You accepted what we said as the very word of God, which of course it is. And this word continues to work in you who believe. He's commending the believers in Thessalonica because when they heard the word of God, they didn't receive it just as, as just a human idea, as a, a good thought or, or a great theory. No, they received it as the word of God because it is the word of God. And church, when you and I receive the word as it is, the word of God, 
we began to approach it with, Lord, I want to, I want to be more obedient to you. I want to be more in line with you. So there's a lot of great truth just in that first verse. He says, brothers and sisters, don't forget about that gospel I preached to you. Remember how you welcomed it? Remember how you received it? So he's calling something out in them. He's calling them to remember the attitude they had. Because even though the church was troubled, even though they had divisions, and even though there were some abuses in the spiritual gifts and, and some things that had to be dealt with doctrinally and, and even sin within the church, Paul's reminding them, don't forget what God did in you. Yeah. In church, when we're dealing with all the stuff we're dealing with in society, don't forget what God's done in you. Yeah. Don't forget where he's brought you from. Don't forget how you received the message when you first heard it. How it changed your life. How you're enthused about the word of God. How you couldn't get over being saved. And it's so important that you remember these things. And Paul is reminding them. He's like cheering them on. He says, don't you remember how you received it? You welcomed the word. Now notice what else he says. He says, you stood firm in it. And you stand firm in it. They stood in the gospel. They were steadfast. Despite their problems with carnality, their lack of understanding, their strife and divisions, the immorality, and the weird spirituality, they stood for the gospel. And that word means to stand. It means to maintain. It means to hold one's ground, to maintain a position, to be steadfast or upright. So not only must we receive the gospel, that is welcome it into our lives, but we must stand firm in the gospel. We must be steadfast in the truth. Even when everything around us is shifting and changing, everything around us, even the challenges of our own personal life, keep standing in the word of God. That transformation is going to happen. That change is going to take place. Don't give up. Don't throw your hands up and quit. Keep trusting. Keep showing up. God's transformative power is working in your life. Sometimes you get exasperated and says, you know, it's not enough change. You know, I just don't know if I can keep doing. Yes, you can. Yeah. Keep showing up. Keep placing yourself in the presence of the Lord. Because today may be the day deliverance happens. Today may be the day healing happens. Today may be the day breakthrough takes place. Keep showing up. Keep placing yourself in the atmosphere where God is. Keep going to the word of God. Keep reading the word of God. His powerful effect will take place in your life. So he says, hey, remember the gospel I preached to you? You welcomed it. You stand firm in it. Keep standing. And glad tidings, I want you to hear this tonight, to stand in the truth of the gospel of Christ. Keep standing. 
It's good news because it saves you. Why is it good news? Because it's the message of salvation. Our salvation comes from the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our salvation is founded in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And he says, continue to believe. The King James, the Old English, uses the word to hold fast. In other words, don't let go. Hold it fast. Cling to. To hold fast implies there were some people or some things which might want to snatch the truth of the gospel from the Corinthian Christians. And that was the reason they were to hold on. And church, I want to remind you, there are some forces. There's some spiritual powers of darkness that would try to get you off center. That would try to get you so focused on your problems, so focused on your brokenness that you forget where, what, what, what you believe in. You believe, you, you, you forget the power of the gospel. And God's telling you, hold on. Take a firm grip. Keep trusting, keep believing. I said this a few weeks ago in a sermon. Don't, don't let go of something that God told you to hold on to. Don't let go of something. Don't let go of a belief, a conviction, just because you don't see it lived out by others. Don't accept the negative behavior, the sinful behavior, just trying to explain why there's not a transformation taking place. You hold on to the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The transformation is going to take it. The transformation, my gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ says this, you raise up a child in the way they should go. They won't depart from it. They're going to come home. You keep believing. You may not see it with your eyes right now. You keep praying, mama. You keep praying, daddy. You keep praying, sister. You keep praying, brother. Believe it. Hold on. Don't surrender to things that you were never meant to surrender. Keep believing. Keep trusting. Keep holding fast. It's important that we hold fast to the gospel of Christ. Now, notice what Paul says. This is what I passed on to you. He says, I passed on to you what was most important and what had also been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins, just as the scripture said. He was buried. He was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scripture said. He was seen by Peter and then by the 12. After that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Then he was seen by James and later by all the apostles. Last of all, as though I had been born at the wrong time, I also saw him. I'm the least of all of the apostles. In fact, I'm not even worthy to be called an apostle after the way I persecuted God's church. In verse 3 and verse 4, this is basically the gospel in a nutshell. Paul said, what I received, I then passed on. Just as the scriptures said, Paul had received the gospel message from Christ himself, as had all the other apostles, and then he passed on to all his listeners that same message that he had received. Now, these words indicate the careful 
and literal way the Christian teachers passed on tradition from one generation to the next. They received it. They passed it on to the next. It's important that you pass on to the next generation what you have received yourself. But it's important that you pass on the truth of the gospel, not your gospel. The truth of God's word, not your word. It's important that you pass on from the next generation what you yourself have received. And Paul goes on and he says, listen, Christ died for our sins. Just as the scripture said, Christ as the sinless son of God took the punishment of sin, dying for sin so that those who believe can have their sins removed. Aren't you thankful? Because you believe in Jesus. You accept his atoning work. Your sins are forgiven. He says he was buried. His burial in a tomb was evidence of his death. And he was raised from the dead on the third day. Raised permanently forever. His father raised him from the dead. He came back to life from being a dead person in the grave. On the third day as noted in the gospel. This occurred according to the scriptures. Jesus, while he walked on the earth, quoted the prophet Jonah. Matthew records the words of Jesus in Matthew 12, verse 40. For as Jonah was in the belly of the great fish for three days and three nights, so will the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. Now, Paul goes on to verify the resurrection. He says, listen, the resurrected Lord was seen by Peter. Peter saw him. And then the 12 apostles, they all, they all saw him. And he says, but if that's not enough, over 500 followers saw Jesus after the resurrection at one time. Now, this is recorded nowhere else in Scripture. It's probably, it took place in Galilee. And the sheer size of the crowd, 500, should cause doubters to stop and consider. Jesus did rise from the dead. And when Paul wrote this letter, Paul says, there are many of these eyewitnesses still living among us. So though, though some have died, there are still many who are living among us. It verifies the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not just Peter that saw him. It's not just the 12 that saw him. It was 500 other eyewitnesses that saw the resurrected Christ. But then Paul goes on to say, then he was seen by James. Well, who's he talking about, James? He's referring to James, the half-brother of Jesus, who did not at first believe Jesus was the Messiah. But after seeing the resurrected Christ, he became a believer. James ultimately became a leader of the church in Jerusalem. He also wrote the New Testament book, the book of James. Think about this. You remember the occasion in the scriptures when his brothers came to get him because they thought he had lost his mind? They thought he was crazy? 
And then another time, John records it, when, when the festival of unleavened bread came and the festival of shelters and, 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 and they prodded Jesus. They said, hey, why don't you go to Jerusalem and, and if you're the Messiah, just go, go show all your mighty miracles. And he says, listen, you can go anytime you want. I can only go when my father says. And it's there at that great festival he cried out, I am the living water. If you come to me, any man who is thirsty, drink, I will give him living water. His brothers didn't even believe he was the Messiah until after the resurrection. And here Paul has given us a great account, a great wonderful account of not only 500 eyewitnesses, but Jesus' own family, his fresh flesh and blood, who sometimes can be the hardest ones to win, the hardest ones to convince. They were followers of Christ. James, the half-brother, became a leader in the early church, the church of Jerusalem. Great impact in the first century. Wow. I thought about this. You might be able to deceive some of your friends, but you ain't going to deceive your family. The fact that Jesus' brothers believed in him after the resurrection is even more proof of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then Paul goes on to say, I saw him as if I was born at the wrong time. Now, what is he referring to? He's referring to the Damascus Road experience. When he was headed to Damascus to persecute the church, he had a letter from the authorities giving him the, the right to drag men and women from their houses and arrest them because they were believers in Jesus. And when he was on the road to Damascus, he had a visitation from God. God knocked him off his horse, knocked him on the ground, blinded his eyes. You know, sometimes God's got to knock you on you. Let me be careful here. (laughs) He's got to put you on your back so you can listen. You can hear. He has to knock you off your horse sometimes. You ever been knocked off your horse? You ever got your attention? Because he's got something better for you. He's got something more powerful for you. Everything that God does is redemptive in nature. God God is not angry. He's not mad. He's He's not a God of vengeance. He's a God of love. He's a God of redemption. Everything that God does and allows to come your way has a redemptive nature in it. He's always trying to redeem the good in you, to redeem you, because he wants to spend eternity with you. He wants to spend not only this life with you, but eternity with you. So everything that God does is redemptive in nature, even the chastening of the Lord, even when he knocks you off your horse, even when he puts you on your back, there's redemption in it because he wants a relationship with you. And then Paul goes on to say, I am the least of all the apostles. Matter of fact, I'm not even worthy to be called an apostle 
after how I persecuted the church. Now, Paul was not minimizing his role. Paul wasn't not, was not saying he understood his calling. But what, what this is showing is he also understood the depths of how lost he was, how far away from God. I mean, he went as far as to persecute the church. As Stephen is martyred, the first martyr of the early church, those who were throwing stones at him put their cloaks at the feet of this man named Saul. He was consenting to the death of Stephen. And Paul now, Saul, now known as Paul, realizes the great hurt, the great pain that he caused, but realize the depth and the power and the greatness of God's grace. And that's what I want to come to tonight in closing. It's all because of grace. Whatever I am now, verse 10, it's all because God poured out his special favor on me, not without results. I've worked hard. Yet it's not I, but God who was working through me by his grace. So does it make a difference whether I preach or whether the apostles preach? For we all preach the same message that you have already believed. Paul's talking about God's special favor. How many are thankful for the grace of God? God's grace is truly amazing. And the New Living Translation paints the picture of the contents of a bucket being poured out in abundance on the apostle. So it's like grace was just poured out on me. And it's like Paul is saying, if God can change my life, if God can change me, make me an apostle, choose me for this role, imagine what he can do for you. Imagine how he can work in your life. Imagine what he can do as you surrender your life to him. And Paul says, listen, God's grace, special favor has been poured out upon me. And I like what he says next. And it's not without results. It's like when you've been given more than you do of opportunities and the light bulb finally goes off. And it's like, wow, I'm not going to squander this. I'm going to make the most of it. I'm not, I'm not just going to live any way. I'm not just going to just do anything. You know what? God's given me this opportunity. And I'm going to make the most of it. And the truth of the matter is this, church. God has given us this opportunity. I don't want to squander it. We've walked through the last year and eight months, going on two years now. I don't want to squander what we've gone through. I want to make the most. God's grace is bringing us through. God's grace and mercy is seeing us. And I, I want to make the most of it. Paul says, I've worked hard. I've worked harder than anybody else. And I think that we need to be those type people that say, you know what? I worked hard. I worked harder than anybody else because God's been so good to me. I'm going to give everything, my all, to him. 
And then he goes, he says, you know, even though I worked, it really was God's grace doing it all. So know this, you're saved by grace, you're kept by grace, and grace gives you the strength to work it all out. You're not saved by your works, but you are saved to work. Bring results of your salvation. Bring results of a changed life. So what is so powerful about the opening verses of chapter 15 is Paul is reminding them of the gospel because they had allowed some things to kind of take the place. And, he, and, he, and he's doing it from a, a, a language of, of tenderness, brothers and sisters. Remember the gospel. Remember how you received it. You're standing firm in it. Sometimes you just got to remind yourself what it was like when you first got saved. What it was like when your eyes were open and you realized your sins were forgiven. Keep standing. You're standing, keep standing. Jesus died, was buried, and he arose on the third day. Just like the scriptures, just like the prophets prophesied. Hundreds of years before, it happened just like Peter saw him. The other apostles saw him. James, did you hear this? James, the the brother of Jesus, he saw him. The other apostles saw in the 12. Then I saw him one day. I had my own experience. I want to close with this. You got to come to the place where you have an experience. And you can't live for him on somebody else's experience. You have to have your own experience. Let's stand together. Can we lift our hands toward heaven just giving thanks? Can you thank him for his grace? Thank him for his mercy. Thank him for his love. Father, we love you. We thank you. Thank you for grace. Thank you for salvation. Thank you for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thank you for the transforming work. God, we're going to keep standing. We're going to keep standing in that truth. Even those moments when we feel like, Lord, we're just not, we're not, we're not living up to what we need to. We're going to keep standing in grace. Keep standing in the truth. God, because transformation is going to happen. Change is going to take place. We're going to keep showing up the church. We're going to keep tuning in. We're going to keep placing ourselves in the atmosphere where the presence of God is so that transformation can take place in us. You're changing hearts, you're changing minds, transforming lives, restoring families. God, you are so good. It's all because of your grace. Just like Paul said, I am who I am because of God's undeserved favor, because of God's grace. They didn't even deserve it. Don't even belong to be called an apostle. But here I am, standing in God's grace. So Lord, we're not going to squander the moment. We're going to work harder than anyone. We're going to share the love of Christ. We're going to preach the gospel of Jesus. We're going to live this out. We're going to keep showing up. We're going to keep believing, keep trusting. We're going to keep doing because you've done so much for us. We love you, Jesus. Let's worship him for a moment.